Well, this is the Leadership Lessons Podcast. We are starting a season three in seven days. Next week, we'll be dropping fresh content. How about I give you three episodes the first day? Why not? I've been giving you three messages before we even launch the series, talking about the sabbatical and to get you excited and just really hopefully uh, encourage you to take some time off. Listen, I'm so proud of you. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, take a lot for church leaders to do a lot of work. Uh, we're constantly going, pushing, dreaming, doing the things God's called us to do and ministry is consuming. But yet God told us to stop to rest, to delight in Him and His grace. And so uh, about a year ago, I did this message series on the rhythms of grace. And part of that was how God calls us to work, but also God calls us to stop. And this is one of the ways that we actually delight in God's grace and realize that He is God and we are not. And so I've had a great break, a season break, been doing a lot of ministry here locally in our area with different churches, uh, Church United, uh, doing United uh, Fasting with all these other churches, been doing ministry partnerships, just so much different stuff, taking a break from leadership lessons, but part of my break was to prepare for you to give you great content. So I'm excited to bring it to you next week. We're starting season three, March 9th, with many local legends here from our area. Uh, excited to have my friends uh, share more wisdom with you, and it was great learning from them. So we will see you next season. Make sure you subscribe, share for me. I appreciate uh, you guys allowing me to be able to pour into you. And uh, we'll see you with new content March 9th. Enjoy this message called Fighting the Battle uh, by Resting, Taking the Sabbath. Enjoy. God bless. You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called Rhythms of Grace. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy. It is chapter uh, 5, page 115, a Bible we gave you. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand like this. Okay, got one, two, three, three, four. Okay, you can go on your smartphone. You can raise your hand. Mike's going to be bringing you the Bible. When you get this Bible, turn it to page 150. And we've been teaching about uh, the Sabbath, about grace, about gifts from God. The Bible says in James 1.17, he is a giver of all good gifts. He is a perfect father. It's so important for us to worship him, to understand who he is. And that's why we go to God's word, because God points us uh, to himself through his word. And I've really been enjoying teaching through the Sabbath, this rhythm in creation that God has made to give us rest on the seventh day. God set up creation, everything that you know, everything that you see right now. He made it out of nothing. He spoke forth and it became light. A life, and he and he made the, the the animals and the creatures and the the earth and all this different stuff day after day after day. And he was saying it was good, it was good, it was good. But on the seventh day, on the seventh day, God it says he rested, he contemplated, he enjoyed the grace, he enjoyed what he had built. And you know, on the seventh day, it says, and he said it was very good, it was very good. You know, when you actually pause and you ponder God's grace and who He is and what He's doing in your life, it's like a double portion. The Bible says that this day is like holy. It's a holiday. It's a celebratory thing. It is the Sabbath. And as I practice having a Sabbath, I've learned to say, man, it is really, really good. It's really good to rest, to contemplate God, to just enjoy him, enjoy not only the the fruit and the work that you're doing throughout the week, but to rest and to know that he is God and I am not. Like Isaiah 56, 2 says, blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. I've really learned to enjoy and be refreshed in God and his grace. And it's by God's grace that he invites us to enjoy him. He gives us an invitation for relationship, and he wants that throughout our lives. So he set up this rhythm. Now, if you've been with us or not, we're going to do some little summary before we get into the Deuteronomy chapter 5. But I want to give you a little, just a, a definition from Pete uh, Skizarazo, or however you say that name. Uh, what's that? Skizero. Yeah. It's from a great book called Emotionally Healthy Leader. I know that. I read the whole thing. It was good. Uh, he has a podcast, all this different stuff. But I, I like working definitions to sort of help us see, to picture it. We've been talking about this. There are many definitions we could, but Sabbath is a 24-hour block. The 24-hour block of time in which we stop rest. We enj- uh, no, we stop work. That would, see, that's why I have it up here. I get really excited sometimes. It's amazing. Uh, we stop work. 
we enjoy rest, we practice delight and contemplate God. Sort of four type of things, okay? So when I talk about Sabbath, here's where I want your mind to go. That it's a place for you to, to, to stop work, to enjoy rest, to practice delight. Things that you enjoy that fill you and contemplate God. And the Bible says this day is holy. It is blessed. It is a great day to enjoy God's grace. It's almost like a celebratory party every week that God has made in the rhythm of our lives that we can enjoy him and his grace. And, and just practically, people have asked me all the time what the Sabbath looks like to me. But what does that look like? What does this 24-hour block look like? Well, I'll let you know, for me, it's not about work. I stop working. And so on, on, on my Sabbath day, I put away my computer. I don't check my email. Uh, I try not to counsel people. Uh, I do things physically on the Sabbath a lot more. So for example, uh, I mow my lawn on the Sabbath. I, I exercise more. I'm usually in meetings and studying and stuff throughout the week. And so it refreshes me to go outside and get stuff accomplished. So I like going out for like walks and just hanging out. It's basically the opposite of my job. And I know that my job is a little bit unique because I'm around people all the time, but I try not to pastor uh, in the sense of making appointments and doing these things on a Monday because I need rest. So I stop work and then I rest. And so you could better believe on Mondays, I sleep in. It's glorious. It's amazing. I take naps. Um, I watch movies. I try to relax. Uh, I, I try, to, try to also rest my mind by turning off social media, turning off white noise, things that would distract me. Because um, Sabbath is not about producing uh, or doing, but it's rather resting, enjoying downtime. Like many of us go so hard, we don't even think. We just do the next, the next, the next. And part of the Sabbath is contemplating. We have to slow down. We got to stop. We got to rest. And so I practice delight on the Sabbath. And for me, that delight is going to be um, hanging out with my family, going on dates with Laura, picking up the kids, taking them out to ice cream. Uh, food is definitely a big part of my Sabbath. I love food. It's great. So we go out and we have people over that we enjoy for fellowship and uh, experience new things, going to the beach. Um, my delight will be different than your delight, right? We're all different, but how do you delight? What refreshes you? And then I like to contemplate God. I spend extra time being with God. You know, usually I'm sort of like a message junkie. I think two weeks ago, I think I watched like three messages on a Monday morning, just like from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. I was just watching preaching the whole morning. It was amazing. It was great. That probably wouldn't be your thing, but for me, it was awesome. For your thing, maybe you want to go on a prayer walk. I do that as well in our neighborhood. Or I read a lot more chapters of the Bible on a Monday. Uh, I'll read sometimes a whole book. That just refreshes me. It gets me thinking about God. I usually end up reading or thinking about biblical truth for a few hours. See, my Sabbath will look different, and that is okay, because your Sabbath probably won't be on a Monday. For you, Monday is when you hit it hard, you go to work. For me, Monday is my Sabbath. I rest. But the day doesn't matter as much as what you're focusing on. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard of a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So you're going to miss out if you forget that the Sabbath was for you to contemplate God, to actually worship God, because it's a spiritual discipline. We're under a new covenant of grace, and so we find our true rest in Jesus, not a religious practice. And so the Sabbath is more than just taking a day off. It's resting in Jesus, delighting in him. Remember, he is the bread of heaven. He is the true life. He invites us to have fellowship where he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Practicing a Sabbath is a spiritual discipline that we do as Christians out of worship to God to be with God, to enjoy God, to trust God. God wants us to practice it, and it's for our good, both spiritually and both physically. Because you are a spiritual and physical being. You are a physical and spiritual being. And we have physical limitations and need to trust that we are not God, and God can do it by his strength and not ours. And so Sabbath questions for you to ponder, for you to think about as you're processing this, as you're thinking about this. What fills your tank and excites you? What, what, how do you receive rest? Remember how I said certain people's Sabbaths look differently? Over history, Christians have taken a Sabbath on a Sunday because they're able to naturally have a rhythm, a holy day, Sunday, and gather together and worship and hear the Bible and sing songs and pray and have fellowship. 
And so, so how do you receive rest? What, what day is that for you? How do you enjoy and delight in God by his grace? How do you, how do you receive that grace? Do you, do you love doing writing, just journaling? Silence and solitude, I know a lot of people do that in their, on their Sabbath. They just take an hour or two just doing nothing, just having freedom to just listen to God. How would you take extra time to seek Jesus? See, these are important questions as we talk about Sabbath and practicing it. And everything I just mentioned is just a recap. We've covered these things. You know it. But today I want to give you a little bit of a different angle as we finish talking about the Sabbath. Because these are sometimes more of a passive thing. We need rest. It's all about us. It's all about us. But I want to give you a proactive angle, a view, a vantage point to the Sabbath to help you understand what it is. Because as we delight in resting God, the, bomb, the Bible promises us strength. The Bible promises us strength. I wrote this down. There is incredible power relying on God and resting in him. And practicing the Sabbath is one of the ways we are able to fight our spiritual battles. As we worship God in this way of practicing the Sabbath, it's not just a, a passive type of thing. We actually can, by faith, proactively jump into this discipline and engage in spiritual warfare. And the Bible says we are strengthened by God's grace. And so today I want to talk to you to finish up talking about the Sabbath, about how we're fighting the battle. Sabbath, a 24-hour block of period where we rest. We are not God, God is, but yet that is how he calls us to fight things, to worship him, to enjoy him. And so I had you turn to uh, page 150, Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is uh, a text where Moses is going to be speaking. We've been sort of, I've been trying to jump around. We did Exodus 20 where God gave the Ten Commandments. Then, then four chapters before that, 16, to show you when the Israelites first practiced the Sabbath because I wanted to make sure you knew that it wasn't just a, a law. But this is Deuteronomy, and this is Moses repeating the Ten Commandments again to the people of the nation of Israel. We'll get context as we go, but let me just read the, the section It's going to be found in verse 12 through 15. I'll have it on the screen. It's a little small, but I gave you uh, the page number. You can read in your own Bible as well. Verses 12 through 15, and then we'll pray. The Lord says in this word, Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you and your, or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can practice delight in you. We come today, Lord, just wanting to be restored and refreshed in you. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would come upon uh, me to speak your word and that you would come upon your people, that you would teach, that you would refresh, that you would prophetically speak to people and encourage them and point them to you, Lord. We want to worship you with our mind as we worship you in the study of your word. God, help us to see you more and more. Thank you so much that you give us commands. You give us gifts, grace to be obeyed for our blessing and for your glory. And so as we follow after you, as we learn what it means to follow you, Jesus, fill us with your spirit, empower us to walk in your ways and to trust you. Build our faith, God, as we come to your word. It's in your precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. By the way, amen means uh, I agree. Let it be. So if you, if you enjoy that point, if you think that's a good thing, you can say, I agree. That's amen. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's right. See, that was a little test. All right. What we just read was the fourth commandment. You may be familiar with this text or what known as the 10 commandments in the Bible. Moses is laying down the law again. He's retelling the people of Israel the importance of their lives. Uh, the importance of following God in their lives. This isn't Mount Sinai, but this is 40 years later. He had, they sort of stumbled in the wilderness. And if you know the story, the people of God sinned. And because of that sin, there was a consequence. They couldn't enter the promised land. God promised them to go into this great land, but they lacked faith and they sinned against God. 
And this happens to us as the people of God all the time as well. When God gives us great promises and he says, you could have all these blessings, all spiritual blessings are found in Christ, and then we sin, we don't trust God, we don't claim those promises, live by them, there's actually consequences for that. And so these people had the the land. It was actually only a few miles away, but they ended up going in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't trust God. We're always blessed when we worship God and trust him. And, And so Moses, he actually stumbled to the leader. You remember the Bible says there's no one perfect, not none. And so Moses messed up too in this story in Numbers chapter 20. He actually struck a rock twice and he misrepresented God to the people. And so now Joshua, the new leader, is about to bring the people into the promised land. They're about to engage in real physical warfare, killing all of these, going to war with Amorites and Canaanites and and Jericho and all these lands and taking the land that God is going to give them. And Moses is about to die. Moses, God told Moses, go up to the mountain and look at it, but you can't go in. Sort of like Moses representing the law, we can see the law and it is good and it is holy, but it will never allow us to have that living relationship and walking in victory. It just shows us a reflection of of who we are and how holy God is. But Joshua, uh, where we get the word God is salvation or New Testament word Jesus, um, he actually allows us to walk in the promised land. He allows us to have victory in our lives. And so now Joshua is going to lead these people into victory, but Moses is now going to restate these commandments, these ways of a nation, because they were a new nation, and God wanted to establish them so they would follow these rules, and everyone would be like, wow, when they follow these rules, they're blessed. There is a true and living God. There's something amazing. They were supposed to be a testimony to, to not only bless the nation, but to bless the world. And so Moses, again, is reminding the people the importance of God's ways in this book called Deuteronomy. That's the Torah, the five, first five books of the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, actually means second law or book of remembrance. It's a retelling of important things. And so Moses restates the Ten Commandments to the people again, and they're almost identical almost. See, if you line them up, there's a little bit of a difference, especially in this command. In Exodus chapter 20 in Sinai, Mount Sinai, the Sabbath is rooted in the story of creation, the seven-day creation, and we rest because God rests. We're made in his image, and there's blessing in that, and so, you know, we do that. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the retelling, well, the Sabbath is grounded in the Exodus story, You remember the people were in slavery and they got brought out, delivered by Yahweh. God himself redeemed them, brought them out from slavery into freedom, and now is is walking with them and getting into the promised land. It's a a different angle. Um, To get this, I I wanted you to uh, read this quote. I have a few quotes that are a little long, but I think it's important for us to understand it. It's, It's by a book called Garden City by John Mark Comer. Uh, It's page 205 if you ever get the book. But um, this quote says this, at at Sinai, the Sabbath is an art form, right? Because we talked about Sabbath questions like, hey, what delights me and what's restful? And so like, it's an art form. It could be different for things. But it's tapping into the rhythm of creation. But in Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. There's a different slant. There's a different posture. At Sinai, It's a way of saying yes to God in his world. But in Deuteronomy, it's a way of saying no to Egypt and its system. At Sinai, it's an invitation to join God in delight. But in Deuteronomy, it has this been, it's a warning to stay away from Egypt's way of life. In Sinai, it looks back to Eden. But in Deuteronomy, it looks back to Egypt. The first thing I want you to see and want you to realize is the Sabbath is a memorial. This is the retelling It's memorializing it. Memorial is a symbolic ritual or a place that causes you to remember something significant. And the Sabbath is something for us to practice and it causes us to to retell, to do something so that we would understand an important, significant thing. God wants us to use the Sabbath to help us to remember something significant. Like in Exodus 12, 4, he told that to the people. And the thing he wants them to understand now as they're entering into the promised land, is this. Never go back to Egypt. Don't do it. Don't go back to Egypt. 
See, Egypt represents and has represented in the word of God, throughout the word of God, the ways of the world. And literally, in their context, it was the ways of the world. In Egypt, the Israelites were slaves. Slaves don't have Sabbath. They don't rest. They work. Rest isn't an option for a slave. See, rest is a byproduct of freedom, and no freedom, no rest. So don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to Egypt. The Bible continually tells us as Christians, don't look to the world to be satisfied that because the Spirit of God is in us, that we have been set free, that we can go back to this system, to this, this familiar way and actually be caught up, be wrapped around this slavery. But if there is no freedom, there is no rest. And God wants us to practice rest because we have the Spirit of God. We don't need to have Pharaoh as our king. We have the living king, Jesus. See, under Pharaoh, they had to work constantly. These Israelites, there was hard labor, and it didn't satisfy. You remember Pharaoh, he was, a, he was a, a crazy, just hard ruler. Make more bricks. Take away supplies. Make more bricks. Slave, slave, no days off. Beat them if they, they get tired. They, Pharaoh was building his kingdom. God wanted to free the Israelites from that, so he sent Moses and said, let my people go. Pharaoh would drive them to death even. Work harder, work faster. And as they did that, you know what happened? The benefits wouldn't go to them. It would go to Pharaoh. See, because he wanted to build his kingdom, his empire, his riches, his city. He would say, make more and more bricks and it would never be enough. And the people were tired under his rule. And so God didn't want his people under this rule. He came to deliver them, Exodus, to send them out, to redeem them, to deliver them. And God doesn't want us under the rule of the world, trying harder, faster, better, always going, going, going. God doesn't just want us to work and produce. He has a better way to rule our lives. Freedom, rest. God wants us to remember that we are more than just products and slaves, we are human beings made in his image. And he loves us not based off what we do. He loves us based off who he is. Not just because we work, for his kingdom is the amazing kingdom, one with great benefits, that we receive blessing. And not only that we are slaves, but we are children of him. But see, he says, don't go back to Egypt as a slave. Enjoy the freedom under my leadership now, rest. But we all could be tempted to go back to Egypt. And this is why Moses is telling the people. And you may say, well, no, that's stupid. That doesn't even make sense. I would never want to go under, under the, the, the way of Pharaoh. Well, technically in the story they did. Remember when the God right before he provided the bread of life, manna? What is this thing? The, the, the meat? They were like, just take us back to, to Egypt. At least we ate there. Well, technically, sometimes in your own life, you know, sometimes we say some stupid things. We, we definitely will. Oh, man, the glory days. Oh, I remember when I got high or when I did it. Oh, so funny. And like, oh, I just wish I would, didn't have to forget. I didn't have to do this. I didn't. It was so much better back then. No, it wasn't. That's a lie. That's a temptation. And even when we think, okay, we don't want to be slaves, but you know what? All of us, we all want to be a little bit of Pharaoh, don't we? We do. Just think about it. You want to rule and reign a little bit, don't you? You do, because we have that flesh, the ways of the world. We're in this, this battle, this spiritual warfare. See, we could be tempted to go back to Egypt, the ways of the world, not because we think slavery is better, but because we think being Pharaoh is better, ruling our own lives. And we're getting a warning here. We have an endless desire for more, don't we? Do you ever satisfy your flesh? Does it just keep on going more and more and never enough? And our flesh tempts us to go back to Egypt. See, there is great temptation to work harder and try harder and not to trust in King Jesus. We call him King, Lord, Savior. Like, he is now our new master, a good master. But yet we want to rule our lives. See, we, we sometimes want to produce because we constantly want to prove ourselves to people. So we produce or we want to we work and produce and, and go after it to build our own kingdom at other people's expenses, just like Pharaoh. 
You think Pharaoh cared about those people? No. And oftentimes when we're so selfish in our own ways, we're not actually loving other people. See, we want to produce to live in freedom, to have victory, to have complete control and satisfaction. But this is a temptation and a lie from the devil. To live for yourself does not satisfy. It's the ways of the world. Egypt. And to be in Egypt, trying to be Pharaoh, we actually become slaves. The late Billy Graham, great evangelist, said this, the Bible declares that there can be pleasure in sin. We know this from our own experience, but the Bible also says that it's sin's pleasure is only for a season, Hebrews eleven twenty five. That in it's over when it's over, leaving us bitter and finally destroying us. A a day of reckoning always comes, he says. The Bible says, Be sure your sin will find you out. And listen, as we've been reading through the Paul's epistles in our reading plan, Galatians six eight, doesn't he say that for the one who sows the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life? You cannot live in Egypt and have godly results. You cannot feed your flesh and have a byproduct of the Spirit. God wants us to remember this. The Sabbath is a memorial. And when we practice the Sabbath, we're reminding ourselves God's ways are better than our ways. God's kingdom is better than Egypt. To trust him to be our God, you can't compare it. God's ways are better. And just even the practical sense, guys, you work six days, the seventh day, guess what? God takes care of us. We still eat. He's that good. He can actually rule and reign to not like harm us, but to actually love us because he's a king that's for us, that nothing separates us from his love. And so when practicing a Sabbath, we're actually killing our inner Pharaoh, our flesh, and trusting in God's ways. As we rest, we trust that God is in control and we are not. We are proactively worshiping God and saying, you are my king. Today is Sabbath. You are the king. I will find my delight, my enjoyment, and my trust in you. And so Moses says a little bit different. Verse 15. It's not there in Exodus 20. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out from there to with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You don't have to be a slave of Egypt. And as you Sabbath, the Sabbath helps us fight. This ritual, this practice, this 24-hour block, this system in your everyday life, weekly rhythm, actually helps you fight. See, you don't have to go long in the Christian walk to understand we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 talks about that. This life is not a playground. It is a battleground, and the casualties are real. We're in a spiritual battle against Satan, the world, and the flesh. And the Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith, to live for God. And as we practice the Sabbath, it helps us to fight the spiritual battle that we are in, but not in a way that you might think. See, as we're even going to read this week, finish 2 Corinthians chapter 7 through 13. In chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 of this book, Paul would say, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're physical beings, but there's something more going on. There's some spiritual stuff happening. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. The way that we battle is by trusting God in his word, by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, trusting that he is good, and there is an actual uh, consequence for our faith. There is a repercussion. There is fruit for how we live. And when we live not on our ways, but on God's ways, the Bible says we are blessed. Now, what does this mean in our context as we talk about the Sabbath? Well, as we talk about the Sabbath, we're talking about trusting God. And so we don't work. But you know who always works? God. He's constant. He's faithful. You could trust him. Did you know in Numbers, God would tell the Israelites, my name, my Lord, uh, my name is the Lord. I'm a warrior. 
you know, that he would tell the, the Israelites be, before they go into war. Check this out, right? This is a, a telling. They're about to go and take the land, and their first battle is going to be Jericho, right? We know if you read Joshua, they go in a lot of fights, Ai, and all these places. You may say, well, I don't have time, you know. There's, there's all this stuff going on. Some people actually say, well, I don't have time to rest, you know. Uh, I'll rest in heaven. Right now, I need to fight. Well, right now, you need to fight a good fight. You need to trust what God has said to have victory. They were going in a situation where they had to fight and all the nations didn't practice no Sabbath. So do you think that on a, on a Shabbat, on a Sabbath, on a Saturday night, they'd be like, hold on, hold on. Don't fight for me. I'm just going to go take a rest because God told me to go do something. And No, they had no idea. They didn't know the law. They didn't care. These other nations were fighting for their life. It was serious. And so they actually had to take this by faith. And this would be one of the things that was like for dear life. Are you going to trust God or not? They're about to go into war. Well, the Bible says that we are in a spiritual warfare. And Exodus 14, 14, right before God gives the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath rule to them, he, the Bible actually reminds us, he reminds those people that he will fight for them. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still, to rest, to trust. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I want to propose to you that even in our battle, our spiritual warfare, the enemy doesn't take a day off, but we can because God is greater than our enemy. He can fight our battles. We don't need to have it all the way on all the time. We can rest in Christ. In Christ, we have our blessings. We can trust that he will fight our battles. Listen to what Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says. Have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall feel, fall exhausted. But they who wait on for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And you know the word that he gave the Israelites right before the law in Exodus 19, verses 4 through 5? God would say, you yourselves have seen what I have did what I have done to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. We are to be a people that trust God and have confidence that Jesus will fight for us. He already did the greatest work that you can do. He accomplished it on the cross. For the Father was completely satisfied by his righteousness. And right now he's in heaven, interceding, Hebrews 7, 25 says, for you and for me. He is fighting on our behalf. We can rest in him. He is a great warrior. His name is the Lord. You can proactively trust him. Trust him out in this. Trust him. Enjoy your life because he gives grace. He wants you to know his grace and he wants your life to be one that is proactively fighting the spiritual warfare by trusting him. Jesus would often display his power on the Sabbath. Do you know that? That's like one of the reasons religious people like really hated Jesus because they would be like, no, this is a Sabbath. And they would make so many rules based off of the Sabbath. That's why sometimes even us as Christians, we have so many skewed views of the Sabbath and like, well, I don't want to work. I can only walk five, if, wait, mowing the lawn on the Sabbath. Isn't that work? No, wait, how does that work? Ah, because we made all these rules. It's like there's the line and we made 10 rules so that we don't even get close to the line. That's what the law does. We're living in grace, okay? Enjoy it, baby. It's awesome, all right? And so these Pharisees, these religious rulers, they would actually have books this thick based off of the Sabbath to tell you, you cannot walk 50 feet. No, it's 50 yards. No, it's 300 yards. Oh, no, no, you can't. If you do laundry, but then you have to hang it, but you can't beat it because there's, they had all these different things and laws to practice the Sabbath. But Jesus was going on and being like, you're healed, you're healed. Hey, you hungry disciples? We just walked, boom, let's go eat. This is amazing. We're just enjoy Didn't he say the Lord, he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he did some of his best work on the Sabbath. And so he would constantly be healing people on the Sabbath. Why is this? Why is this? 
Jesus would often display his power on the Sabbath, his healing power, healing people. Well, maybe he just wanted us to know that he could do some of his best work on the Sabbath. Maybe, maybe as we were resting and everyone else was being uptight and stuff, he, he, he just wanted to let us know when he came and the kingdom of God manifested and God himself came to flesh, he wanted us all to know there's healing work on the Sabbath that I can do. You don't have to have these rules. I'm here. It's a relationship. Let me heal you. And there was joy and freedom and people would get saved. Isaiah 6, 64, 4 says that God, he acts in the behalf of the one who waits for him. Remember, just like the bread of heaven coming, the manna coming from heaven to earth and sustaining nutrition, God was doing this miraculous work and the job of the Israelites was to trust him. God does miraculous things when we trust him. He does the miracle. We trust. It's faith. It's by grace we are saved through faith. He heals on the Sabbath day by giving us rest, and we fight our battles by trusting him to be God. There's a miracle taking place when we're trusting God. John Mark Comer goes on and says this, even though the Sabbath is about imitation of God who works in rest, it's also a day to remember that we're not God. We take a day off and the world gets along just fine without us. We're not as important as we think. The Sabbath is a day to embrace this reality, to let it sink in, to own it, to celebrate it, to celebrate our weakness, our mortality, our limits, to celebrate our, our God of strength and immortality and limitlessness, to rest in him and uh, to rest with him and to rest in him. Paul would say something like, in my weakness, he is strong. Sabbath is acknowledging we have limitations. We can't do it all. But yet that's exactly where God's grace is sufficient for us. The last thing I want you to see about the Sabbath is because many people have this weird idea that we have to do everything and try everything and be everything. Well, the Sabbath is a powerful witness to the world. The Sabbath, Sabbath is a powerful witness to the world. Remember, we're talking about rhythms of grace. This is definitely a rhythm, a system. And God uses the Sabbath to display his grace in our lives. He, he restores our bodies. It's good for us. We're blessed. He promises that. He gives us rest and healing for our souls. But with this grace, it also displays to the world his grace as well. As we practice the Sabbath, trusting in God, there's something the world sees that's unique about us. I mean, think about this. I'm telling you to take 24 hours to just delight. Have fun. Like last week we talked about, it's like a party. You prepare for it. Every week, God wants you to just celebrate grace. You don't got to try harder, do better. Just enjoy life. What about work? How am I going to trust God, man? It's awesome. This is a very unusual thing in the world. They're constantly moving, constantly busy. It's a little strange for them to see people that are at peace, that have joy, that enjoy God and, and grace and rest. And, and it's, it's an opposite message of try harder, do better. It says that we can trust and the world notices collectively when we Sabbath because when we do it, we worship unto Jesus. Jesus would even say this in Matthew chapter five in one of his sermon on, on the Mount. Verses 14 through 16, you are, you are the light of the world, speaking to you and I, Christians, believers that put our faith in Jesus, that have the Holy Spirit, that are living by grace, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, as we follow God's ways that he gives us by his grace so that we will be blessed, and as we Sabbath, people notice our behavior. The example from this series is work, right? Work is not bad. I'm not telling you to be lazy. Actually, I rebuked you and told you you should work. God has given you gifts and abilities that you should edify one another in the body and we should actually be ordained and sent out to go and use those gifts and those abilities in our workplace and make money. And this is all a gift. But isn't that grace and those gifts that you have to be going doing that job, isn't that grace to other people as well? Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and God has strategically sent all of us throughout the week now with his spirit to go work and to bless people. 
And then we earn money, which is grace, and we acknowledge that. Man, money is a gift from God. That is grace. But isn't it also that same grace that we use now to be generous and to bless people with grace? See, as we receive this grace from the Sabbath, it is one that now we actually practice it, and it blesses people and shows people grace. The Sabbath is a physical display of God's grace to the world. Exodus 31 after God gave those commands to Moses and to the people, verse 12 through 11, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you through your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you, set you apart, make you holy. You don't have to do the work. This is a sign. See, the Sabbath is not merely just a day. It's going to be continually in your life, so it's to be a sign to everyone. There was a place and a people, a holy nation that was trusting God not to work, and this system was to rely on grace. Now, in his book, Subversive Sabbath, AJ, I'm going to, get, I'm going to see who can pronounce this name. How do, how do you say that? Saboda? All right. I don't have to meet him, but I really liked his book. It was good. Uh, AJ Saboda said this, the Sabbath was a perpetual witness of the covenant between God and Israel. Can we all agree? We're reading it from the scripture. This is a covenant. It's to be perpetual. It's to be something they practice. The truth is people's beliefs are revealed to outsiders more than their actions, than their words. People's words are often the last thing that, uh, that we can rely on to discern their beliefs. The Jews believed that if you wanted to know who knew God, you can tell by looking at their calendar. Why, why was that? Because their schedules shared and showed the people what they actually believed. You know how many people, especially us, we say a lot of stuff, we believe in God, but then we freak out acting like we don't? The world sometimes doesn't really care what we say. It, it sees what we do. And so he goes on and says, Christian Sabbath keeping is a calendar sign. It is a confession that Christ is Lord and we are not. I think that the Sabbath very well could be, have the same effect in our world. As the world looks at the church and the way it rests, it would notice that Christians are a different kind of people who live according to a different set of commitments. But not only this, the church is to be that contest uh, society where the world learned what true rest is. It, it would spark interest. It, why, why do you guys all take a day off? Why, why is Sunday so special in, in certain cultures? See, it was to be a sign, and the Jews had two signs of this covenant. Once throughout all the Bible, it's circumcision. Thank God I'm not preaching on that today. But that was a private sign. That was something that they would see, right? So as they had the sign, all the males, they would understand, I am circumcised. They would see that normally every day. But there was also a public sign, the Sabbath. It was a public sign to people. Most people would see the Sabbath as a sign of this covenant, and it would be a weird thing for them to trust God and not work seven days a week in their busy agricultural society. And I think it is still weird. As people take a rest and trust in God, people will say, why do you guys do that? We're, we're, we're in this busy society. There's all these side hustles. There's all this stuff going on. People practicing their faith so much that it actually affects their lives? Our good works give us opportunities to preach the gospel and the good news, and people notice our faith that has works, our faith in action. Isn't this what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us? But you in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor, worship him, revere him, obey him. Always being prepared Make, to make an defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter is saying, as you live for God and you honor him and you obey him, something as simple as taking rest, a Sabbath, be ready. Be ready for what? For the hope that's in you. Because you're not a slave anymore. You're free. Pharaoh's not ruling you. The Spirit of God is. You can rest. You can trust. And people don't have that in this world. And so let's say, what, 
well, how do you, how do, you do that? Aren't you anxious? Why, where's that hope coming from? And you can have an opportunity to share the gospel. People notice this. I think we even notice this. I mean, think about this. Sh- how many times after service have you wanted to go, go to Chick-fil-A? Raise your hand. Every time, right? You're like, oh, this is, the, this is called Christian chicken, man. Like, this is the best. It's quality. You're like, I want to go to oh, Chick-fil-A. This is amazing. That's right. They're off on Sundays. Dang it. Why? Because they wanted to give all their employees a Sabbath. They're Christians. They wanted to give their company one day a week to rest. We are not just a business. We are more than what we do. We believe in God. We run our company over God. And and you would think with, with six days only being open, and especially like they're called the Christian chick, they're a Christian organization, and they're cutting off their biggest clientele, Christians, on a Sunday, you would think, well, this doesn't make, they're totally going to go under. McDonald's is going to take over the world, and it's just what, no, actually, people prefer Chick-fil-A. They love Chick-fil-A. They're actually called blessed. <laughs> just throwing that out there for you. They still have the profits. Big, big profits. Should we, be, should we have any surprise by that? And you know, that's created a lot of opportunity, a lot of conversation, and a lot to be a witness to the world. They have chosen to give their employees a day of rest, Sabbath, and they've actually been blessed. Well, A.J. Sabota goes on in this chapter, in verses, or page 166 of this book, Subversive Sabbath. He says, as the church enters Sabbath, it's embodying the rest of God for the world. And it is God's rest that the world needs. The church at rest is a sign pointing toward the risen Christ. It is not an end of itself. We are light shining the life of Christ in a dark, tired world. Sabbath is countercultural living. In a world where the overall sales of uh, various energy drinks, such as Monster Energy, Red Bull, Rock Stars, have increased some five thousand percent since 1999. Embodying Sabbath will offer a witness and context for conversations of eternal importance with a broken, lost world. We actually can display grace and we can fight the battle by trusting God. And as we receive this grace from the Sabbath, it's not just a passive thing. We can proactively trust God and believe that that will even give us opportunity to display grace to the world as well. And so today I want you to understand the Sabbath is a way that we should fight. It's worship. We truly fight our best by trusting God, resting in his grace, relying on him. And as we practice the Sabbath, it's a beautiful display of his grace to us, to our families, and to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that we can Sabbath, we can rest in you. For Lord, we know that all of your rules all of the law points to you, God. The, the, the New Testament tells us, Lord, that, that they're a tutor, they're a guardian. They, they point us to who you are. As Colossians says, you are the substance, Jesus. And, and so I just pray right now, even right now, we've had a long message just to reflect, talk about rest. Let's just enjoy this moment. Praying to you. You're here, Holy Spirit. For many of us, we may feel exhausted in our flesh and our sin. So Lord, we want to repent today. We want to be refreshed in you. Thank you that the gospel is good news. God, you have given grace. Father, we thank you for giving your son. You loved us so much that you gave your son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And the Bible says that you can actually start a relationship with God, Jesus himself. He can deliver you from your flesh, from the world, from your sin. Peter would preach this good news and he would say, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. As we're praying and as we're thinking, as we're pondering about the Sabbath, about rest, I would exhort you to repent and turn to Jesus today. 
don't get caught up in a religious system or even a church or a, a service, but there is a person. Peter would go on in Acts and he would say, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Christ who's been appointed for you, Jesus. And so how does the Bible say that we turn and we repent? We go to God. God, we come to you right now. Even thinking about communion and responding Lord, we need your forgiveness. We need your spirit. And if you don't have a relationship with God, the Bible says that you are to repent to have salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you want to repent today, if you want refreshing, if you want Sabbath, if you want true rest, the Bible says to believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, that he gave his life for you, that he loves you and you can have everlasting life in him confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You'll be saved. You may never have prayed or even taken a moment to respond, but the Bible says that you can say a simple prayer like this. Jesus, come into my life. I turn to you. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died and you rose again. Fill me with your spirit. Give me this true rest. The beautiful thing that we see about rest is that when people fall into the arms of God, all of heaven rejoices. When we truly let go of ourselves and be who we are and need a savior, the Bible says when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. They celebrate. And so if you want to respond, you ask Jesus to come into your life right now. you have Jesus in your life, we're going to take a moment as we're resting, as we're relaxing, as we're just talking about this. We're going to take communion as a reminder, a, a sign that we need a Savior, that true freedom and forgiveness comes in Jesus, satisfaction, and His body was broken for us, His blood was shed so that we can have forgiveness of sin. So we're going to take communion together. We're going to remember that we can know God. And if you want to give your life to Jesus today, as we respond and take communion, you stand up, you grab the bread and the juice, and you partake with us. For we're all equal under the cross. We're just a group of sinners saved by grace. And so we, God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that we can come to you. We turn to you now, even the posture of our hearts and praise. We sing and we cry out to you, Lord. May you be our rest. May you be our strength. May you give refreshment to our souls. May we remember your grace. May we continue to turn to you. It's in your name we pray, Lord.